A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we're going to be taking a close look at some of the events that will be moving markets in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. This week, that means looking at the future prospect for oil investors in the global and domestic arenas and whether housing stocks really are, well, as we used to say, as safe as we once thought they were. I'm joined by Marcus LaRue, The Times trade correspondent, Tom Knowles, our economics and property correspondent, and Callum Jones, The Times markets reporter. Welcome to you all. Now, on November the 30th, members of the OPEC oil cartel and, of course, other big producers like Russia will meet to discuss whether to extend the output cuts that have been placed for nearly a year. That's going to be taking place in Vienna and Emily Gosden, our energy editor, will be there. Let's first remind ourselves where we are. This is how Mohamed Zanussi Bukindu, he's the OPEC Secretary General, set the scene earlier this month at the launch of OPEC's World Oil Outlook for 2017. Since the publication of the World Oil Outlook 2016 in early November last year, the oil market has undergone significant and fundamental changes. It has been a period where the rebalancing of the global oil market has gathered momentum, buoyed by a number of important factors. The main focus has been on the historic production adjustment decisions reached by OPEC and participating non-OPEC producers at the end of 2016, and then extended in May of this year for a further period of nine months until the end of March 2018. Marcus, you have covered these conventions before in Vienna. Uh, just set the scene for us. I mean, how likely is it that they say they'll meet and that they will come to a decision? Do we expect a cast iron decision from them? I think the, the consensus out there seems to be that there'll be another rollover, um, a nine month rollover in the, for the production cuts, which would take um, what Mr. Barkindo mentioned there at the end of March through to the end of 2018. Uh, there are, as ever with OPEC politics, a lot of moving parts. And the geopolitics are never far from the horizon. You have relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia looming large as, as ever as they have over the last few years. And um, lots of players like the Russians that could do with expanding out, but at the same time don't want to risk prices crashing because that would be even worse for their exchequer and the chances of them balancing the, the, the budget. So um, I expect that most of the OPEC members at the moment are, are quite happy with this happy balance. You know, they can live with oil being in the, the 60s which isn't quite high enough to set the, the hair racing and to, to excite the men in Stetsons who, you know, who are going to venture off into Texas and Louisiana and uh, the Midwest to frack the living daylights out of uh, shale formations. So that's the, the sort of the balance they have there that they want. You know, they want prices to be high, but not so high that they, they let the American frackers come back to the party and, and open the door to another 
longer medium term wave of production increases that's in his coded way that was what he was talking about when he said the the fundamental rebalancing of the market we shouldn't obviously lose sight of the fact that since the since confidence has been kind of restored in the curb since they were announced uh, was it earlier this year last year uh, it feels like it's all a bit of a blur right now but since uh, since confidence has been restored the impact on prices has been clear brent crude i think is still at a roughly a two year high having bottomed out at about $40 in 2016 per barrel, it's now around $64 per barrel as we sat here. So you can see that very clearly the impact that it's had on prices and when they meet next week, they'll be adamant that they want to try and keep prices that, at that kind of level. And I think that the, the, the dynamic is, in, is interesting because the, because unconventional onshore US production has, has become so much more efficient that those guys, the best of them, can actually, you know, can actually make it work at these price levels. Uh, I, I remember hearing a quite funny conversation um, uh, in, in Davos, sorry that's a horrendous sentence to have to <laughs> utter but, um, but it was Davos, to, uh, I've been uh, <laughs> several I, times yeah, I'm, quite, I'm, I'm quite important uh, but the <laughs> But it was two two American oil men saying um, after you know prices had got as, as low as uh, you know sort of below thirty dollars at one point twenty seven dollars a barrel I think at one point Brent crude um, and they were looking you know looking back a year later and saying you know uh, things are looking up the market works guess what you know even in this rigged market with an, with 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 an oligopoly or a cartel trying to trying to pull pull the levers you know there the, the the fundamentals still still play out and these guys weren't you know they weren't pulling their hair out saying when will a hundred dollars oil come back they were sitting you know having quite a complacent conversation uh when when oil was probably back then even in the, in the 50s as far as i remember we've got this massive global supply glut Marcus, and obviously, as you say, the American frackers in particular have found a way now to produce at much lower uh, cost per barrel. Is that going to distort it, or is it really still not large enough? I mean, you referred earlier to fracking the hen out of, out of the states. I mean, is it is it possible that at these levels we might see the rig count start to go up and therefore contribute to global supply gluts? You might. What seems to have happened so far is 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 that. The U.S. really acts as, as the new swing producer, and and which is why it's harder for oil to soar out of that. You know, they call it the sort of the shield brand uh, band of of. I think it's moved where people have it, but say broadly, you know, it used to be forty to sixty, and maybe now it's possibly a wee bit lower. You're not going to see it much above that because after a while, once it does, you'll get you'll begin to see the rig count rise, more marginal wells being brought back on stream, and and the price gets brought back down to, to earth uh, so it's a sort of way of keeping the um, keeping OPEC in the Middle East honest in that sense and of course the other thing to mention is that while the rig count flies around madly production actually didn't didn't go down all that much because the, it was the most efficient guys who were left in the, in the game and they were ramping up production um, and doing more from their from their pads you know they were, do, they were drilling longer laterals and getting more out of what they had you know the infrastructure they had and it was the, the more marginal players that were packing up and going home um, so there is always a bit of a, a uh, there was certainly during that period of I don't know 2014 to 20, 2016 there was a decoupling between between the rig count and production um, onshore US Alright well let's take a closer look at home and uh, listen to Philip Hammond he gave the North Sea operators and investors a budget boost this is what he had to say From November 2018 
we will introduce transferable tax history for transfers of oil and gas fields in the North Sea, an innovative tax policy that will encourage new entrants to bring fresh investment to a basin that still holds up to 20 billion barrels of oil. Tom Knowles, in economic terms, is this a genuine break for UK oil and gas operators? I mean, will it go to work immediately? Well, it, it could be. The key thing is is that basically there's quite a lot of maturing oil fields in the North Sea um, and companies can usually claim tax relief when they decommission these fields, you know, plugging up the oil pipe and, and, and sort of removing the infrastructure. But that's based on how much tax they've paid over the time they've owned it. So when they transfer it to a different buyer, under current rules until yesterday, none of that was transferred. So, you know, someone decommissioning a field would have to pay a lot more if they had bought the field, you know, in the later years of its maturity. So what he's saying is this could bring in lots of investment. It could also bring in smaller companies who are usually put off from buying these, you know, fields there near the end of their lifetime. Um, but key, the key thing is that the Chancellor hopes it will bring in more tax again because in 2009, North Sea Oil was receipts were contributing about 12 billion a year in tax. Now it's down to about 900 million. So it's a huge moneymaker for the government if it can be pushed up again. And they reckon this change will possibly contribute as much as 40 billion over time uh, to the government. But, you know, the devil's in the detail and people are saying, well, you'll have to be careful to look at the actual legislation that comes in for this. Looking at the stock market reaction, Callum, would you say that I was just thinking Ineos, for example, has just recently uh, mopped up some fields from BP and others. Very interested. But there are smaller companies, aren't there? Mobile um, oil explorers who presumably this for them is a big deal or could be a big deal, as, as Tom says, provided the devil's in the detail, as I doubt. It is, but the key thing about the reaction over the past few days is that it's been actually quite muted, because like much of the budget, it was briefed a few days, if not a few weeks in advance, so people knew it was coming. And the interesting thing about the stock market, the stock market reaction to the budget uh, a few days ago, was that whilst you, many people will picture the city tuning in, uh, tuning in and watching on television glued to their screens, those who did actually felt like it was time wasted, or many of them certainly did, because there weren't really many surprises in the grand scheme of things. I think the pound didn't even gain a cent against the dollar. House builders were up at one minute and then they were down the next, because at the end of the day, we were expecting a lot of this. Lots of this was in the press. Lots of this Philip Hammond had announced quite quite openly the day before, let alone get aides to brief to various journalists. So there weren't really many surprises. I mean, you mentioned housing there specifically, and we've seen, I mean, so many people, investors and listeners, have house builders, they have the real estate investment trust, they're looking for income. I mean, this is important to them, isn't it? Were the housing breaks enough, do you think, to actually excite a proper stock market rally over the coming weeks and months? Or again, is it? are we all doomed to disappointment? Well, the early sign, and obviously Tom Tom will know about this uh, a, a lot more than me. But the, in terms of the ha- house building stocks, the the early signs weren't particularly weren't particularly great. There wasn't an immediate rally after Philip Hammond sat down. Um, in, in terms of the things that uh, investors were talking about uh, on Wednesday, well, this is three hundred thousand uh, new builds per year target by the mid twenty twenties. But the the devil is in the detail was the point that that kept coming up again and again yesterday because they're not entirely sure how the government plans to do this. Yeah, I mean, I think 
stocks, house building stocks went down a bit because Hammond also announced that they would be launching an inquiry into land banking, which is this theory that house builders hold onto a pot of land, wait for its value to go up and then slowly release a supply of homes all the way, all the time making profit. House builders always strenuously deny this and, and say it's rubbish. Um, so I have a feeling this inquiry will not reveal much. There, lots of uh, reports have been done into the land bank in the past and haven't really found anything conclusive. But the 300,000 target, for me, it's just a target sort of plucked out of thin air in a way. I mean, for ages, they've had a target of 250,000 homes a year. And last year, we got to 217,000, which was the highest since 2008 and only the second highest since 2000. No, since 1990, that was it. Uh, so, you know, I, I just don't believe that's going to happen anytime uh, soon. Uh, and they would have to put huge investment. I mean, Hammond announced this 44 billion of new money, he said, uh, for uh, for housing. And actually, in the once again, devil in the detail, it turned out to be 15 billion of new money with the rest sort of being stuff that had already been allocated over the past year or so. So it all just felt, I think, for, for the housing market, apart from this stamp duty cut for first time buyers, it all felt a bit of a damp squib. And I don't think will increase affordability or supply hugely. Worth pointing out also on the on the more or on, the, on the general market reaction was that although it was quite muted on the day, one thing that if the commentariat is to believe that the budget statement did is it kept Philip Hammond in place. It helped him, uh, well, helped him when make if he ever has to make the case to stay in his job at a reshuffle over the coming weeks and months. Certainly, commentators and those who responded to the budget suggest that actually this was quite a welcome statement on that front. If that's not true, if he does leave his job, if there is a more ardent Brexiteer that takes his place, then you can expect a much bigger reaction in the stock market. Yeah, going on to Hammond's popularity, it seems that this uh, stamp duty cut for first-time buyers, where he's uh, removed stamp duty for all homes up to £300,000 for um, first-time buyer and, and uh, same up to 500000 for the first 300000 of that purchase price, um, is apparently a huge vote winner, despite the IFS and the OBR saying that this policy is silly in a way because all it does is push up house prices because now first-time buyers apparently have more of money to spend on a deposit and actually the result is net negative and that and they thought it would only contribute to about three thousand more sales than would otherwise have happened so it seems a bit ridiculous but the voters seem to like it voters own homes the voters own homes yeah true true that's uh yeah of course because they they see their house prices go up so uh, as the obr said it benefits homeowners more than first-time buyers one assumes that first-time buyers who bought on november 21st probably won't be voting tory at the next general election though i think i think they'll be furious well on that happy note we'll end it there that's it for now but uh, thanks to you all and do keep up to date with the latest financial news and in the coming days there's going to be a veritable host of companies reporting pets at home pennon britvic and marston's that's just to name a few there's all that and the other news and analysis as we sent uh, emily gonston our energy editor will be in vienna reporting from that crucial opec meeting and you can keep up to date on your phone tablets and in the paper if you are a subscriber sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime business emails uh, if you aren't go to the times.co.uk if you want to hear us weekly please do subscribe through itunes it makes it all so much easier my thanks to callum jones marcus larue and tom knows they're all on twitter so please do follow them Thanks for listening and uh, please join us again next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.